Okay, so this is the uh, second part in our study of the word as a means of grace. So last week we looked at a couple of questions from the larger catechism, which dealt with uh, means of grace in general, and we emphasized the fact that uh, these are God's uh, gift to us. It's the grace uh, of Christ that's given to us in the sacraments. And uh, now we really come to the part of the larger catechism, which is uh, specifically about the word and uh, how the word is made effectual. So let me uh, read that uh, catechism question and answer, which I hope is visible. Is it visible from the back row? Okay. All right. How is the word made effectual to salvation? The answer is the spirit of God maketh the reading, but especially the preaching of the word an effectual means of enlightening, convincing, and humbling sinners, of driving them out of themselves and drawing them unto Christ, of conforming them to his image and subduing them to his will, of strengthening them against temptations and corruptions, of building them up in grace and establishing their hearts in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. So I'll probably say this several times, but they don't call it the larger catechism for nothing. Uh, There's a a lot in there. And my main challenge in uh, preparing the class for this week is that there are too many scripture references. Uh, Some sense there's too much support for what is said there for us really to cover in one uh, class period. So I'll I'll try to uh, summarize some arguments and we'll look in uh, more detail at scripture references for others. But uh, to introduce the subject, I'd like for you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'll read verses uh, 14 through 25. We looked at 1 Corinthians last week in terms of the uh, ministry of the apostles. Uh, Paul's own ministry, for example, is uh, one of the means of grace that God had appointed that needed to be kept in proper perspective. It was God who gave the increase. Uh, That was a main point that Paul was making. Uh, But here, uh, backing up to chapter 1, we see some of the context for why Paul needed to say that, because uh, he noted the uh, sectarianism among the uh, Corinthians. So I'm going to pick up the reading at verse 14. He's already referred to this sectarianism in the paragraph before that and specifically refers to baptism. But I'll pick up the reading at verse 14. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign. And Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. 
Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So, uh, for those who didn't hear, that was uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 1, verses 14 through 25. So this is a good passage to introduce the subject of the importance of the word as a means of grace, and especially, as we'll see, the, the reading and the preaching of the word. So Paul here is dealing, as I said, with uh, sectarianism, with divisions within the church. They had their own favorites, Paul or Apollos or Cephas, that is Peter. And Paul rebukes that attitude, well, in more than one way, but in, particularly, in particular here, he uh, emphasizes that they're they're missing really the point of, uh, of the gospel and of the ministry of the gospel. It's not really about baptism in the sense that they could, they could say, I was baptized by this person or that. It's about the ministry of the word. So let me just add a comment here. When Paul sharply contrasts baptism with the ministry of the word, he's not saying that baptism is nothing. It's one of these contrasts you often find in, uh, in the Bible, especially in, I think, a, a Jewish mindset where uh, you know, you, you give an utter contrast just to make plain what is the priority. So here especially, he's not, he's not saying baptism is of no value. He elsewhere makes it plain. He doesn't believe that. But because they were really allying the, uh, themselves with those who had baptized them, um, he points instead to the ministry of the gospel. And uh, notice uh, how he, what the context is for that ministry of the gospel. Uh, to put it mildly, it's not a, a positive, culturally appropriate sort of way to present the message that he had. So he, he speaks specifically of uh, two groups, of uh, the Jews who wanted to see a sign and of the Greeks who didn't think that the message that was preached represented traditional Greek wisdom. And it's interesting that uh, God didn't call the Apostle Paul to somehow accommodate those two, as if, uh, well, we can, we can drop the, the preaching of the gospel because it doesn't really get through to this audience. Let's try something else. Uh, Paul makes it very plain, in, uh, especially in verse 21, that this is the wisdom of God. This is, uh, God's, uh, this is what pleased God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So my point is that if we think that in our own day that uh, you know there must be better ways to reach out, there must be better ways to communicate uh, what we know uh, than the gospel, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul faced exactly the same thing. Now, it's not that we have the Jews and the Greeks, uh, maybe people who think that we should have more uh, image-based communication, more uh, instead of like... So the, the phrase is, you know, instead of the sage on the stage, you should have the guy by the side. They use this in, in education terminology. So, you know, in our egalitarian age, it seems, seems really inappropriate to have one person up here as the expert preaching uh, the gospel uh, to us. But uh, if we think that our uh, age is in opposition to the gospel, remember that Paul recognized it was foolishness as far as the world was concerned to communicate in that way. But it is the power of God. And that's, uh, that's exactly what uh, he says in the last part of what I read. To those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And that's communicated by 
the preaching of the word. So that uh, emphasis, especially on Christ crucified, that is, when we talk about the ministry of the word, we're not talking about any kind of lecture. We're talking especially about the lecture, which uh, the, the address which points us to Christ, which isn't a lecture, really, is an exhortation to believe on Christ. And that's, uh, that's central still in our own day. That's really the, the point of today's lesson. So we might uh, step back a little bit and reflect, uh, why is this so? Uh, why is it that God has appointed uh, especially the word, and as the larger catechism refers to both the reading of the word, but especially the preaching of the word, why has God appointed that? Uh, that could be answered in many ways. The, the first answer maybe is that God gave us a book, right? He didn't give us a set of pictures. He didn't give us... Um, um, some other way to communicate with us, he gave us a book, the scriptures, which was, of course, written over a long period of time, but by the inspiration of the Spirit. Uh, if you want to step back a little bit, you can think about creation. God created by the word. God spoke the word, and it came to an existence. And God uh, sustains everything by his powerful word. More specifically, uh, what does John 1 refer to? In the beginning was the Word. It's the incarnate Son of God who is referred to as the Word. And especially in John 1.14, right, the Word was made flesh. It was the Word of God incarnate who came as our Savior. So having that gospel of the Word of God incarnate and having the Holy Spirit give us an inspired record, it only makes sense that the basic way in which we would grow both in conversion and in the Christian life is by the word. In other words, uh, to quote Francis Schaeffer, God is not silent. Okay, And that, that's really our motivation. Because God is not silent, we should not be silent. We should uh, minister the word. Now, having said all that, and you know, there's some sort of more fancy theology, I guess you could say, in connection with uh, why God chose to communicate to us through the word. I think we should really emphasize the point in uh, verse uh, 21 of 1 Corinthians 1. It pleased God. This is God's choice. God decided that this was the way in which he would communicate to us. It's the foolishness uh, of the message, as Paul says, that is as far as his recipients were concerned. And as far as uh, the unbelieving mind is concerned, it really is uh, the foolishness of the message. So even though there, there are lots of reasons you could sort of justify a word-based ministry, uh, ultimately, it pleased God. And that should be our guide as well. And uh, as we said last week, we shouldn't attempt to be wiser than God, as if we have a better plan uh, than what he has given us. So that's the background in terms of uh, this uh, larger catechism question about the uh, ministry of the word, especially the reading and the preaching of the word as being an effectual means of uh, communicating uh, God's grace to us. Uh, any comments or questions? That was the introduction, hoping that you believe that this was a biblical approach. I saw Vicky's hand first and then Dan. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Virtual reality, yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's that's quite different, uh, right? From yeah, 
Dan? Well, that's a whole other topic that would probably be worth taking lunch or something. Because everybody's seen the movie The Matrix, that science fiction. There's a bunch of stuff going on right now in technology where it's, it's uh, from business and everything as well. It's starting to get pretty crazy out there in terms of what's really real and what's like we really interact here together. Or pretty soon you're, you're kind of more what your online presence is. That's kind of more what your real life is anyway. So the line's starting to get like this and pretty crazy. So I might like blown on that for a second. But that wasn't actually going to be the this concept of I had heard the sage on the stage of the guy by the side. So that's yeah. the this Sean may have heard of that, yeah. <laughs> um, I think that the, the ability to satisfy or, or to help a, a need for interactivity, sure. you know, uh, wrestling through things together, I don't interpret the catechism or you to be saying like that that's not there. Right. You know, like we have, it's a false dichotomy. Yeah, there's not, yeah, it doesn't need to be an either or. Right. It's like a both and, right? Right. So there's the preaching of the word and what goes into that, but then, hello, if we're here, we want to interact on it together. Like we should, we should right. be together, and so there's some of that that goes on as well. There's opportunity. Yeah, and I'm glad you you said that um, because it, what I've said could have been misinterpreted. Uh, the larger catechism. Uh, this is one of these a question that says a lot, but it also performs uh, the function of being an outline for what comes afterwards. So. They talk about the reading of the word, and that's supposed to occur privately as well as publicly. And they talk about the preaching of the word, but part of that is is our uh, speaking to each other about it. And so it's not as if um, the um, guide by the side, uh, catchy phrase, is supposed to be forgotten. It's supposed to be both. It's the rejection of, could anyone really be a sage on a stage? Why don't I just find my own truth? That's that's what... uh, yeah, so I, I appreciate your, your pointing that out. And that is a really important part, that it's, it is uh, our response and our communal understanding is a very important part of this. So, uh, by the way, Vicki, you may have seen this, but there's an a episode on mortification of spin, Carl Truman and uh, Todd Pruitt on this virtual reality church. I haven't had a chance to listen to it, but yeah. Okay, so... Um, Good, good questions and comments. So let's let's move on then. And what I want to do now is go through the catechism question um, uh, more or less in order. Um, so I would say that the most important thing you can remember from this catechism answer is the first four words. How is the word made effectual for salvation? So our answer might be if we study hard, if we go to church a lot, you know, if we uh, do, there are lots of things that we might, decide that will make the word effectual to salvation. But that's not where the answer is. The answer is, it is the work of the Spirit of God. Okay, And I, I tried to emphasize that point. I hope I didn't overemphasize it last week, that uh, oftentimes when we think of the means of grace and we're called to diligence, which the catechism question is going to get to uh, a little bit later, uh, our sense is that it's the means of grace in the sense that it's the thing that I take up and work really hard so that I can get some grace. Like this is the vending machine, grace is an abstract a quantity kind of thing. But the catechism, that is the Westminster Assembly, will have none of that. Uh, the emphasis is entirely on the initiative of God and the grace of God in Christ. 
the only reason the word is not foolishness to us is because the spirit of God makes it effectual to us. Okay, so that's, that's the most important thing you can remember from this very large, long catechism answer. It is the spirit of God who makes the word effectual. And that's, as I noted last week, that's the same thing they say about the sacraments and about uh, the uh, prayer. That those are the three means of grace and the outline of the preceding questions. So let's let's think a little bit about that. I, I, uh, as I said, we talked about that some last week, but um, this answer emphasizes the goodness of God in giving us the means of grace. Christ is our Savior. Christ is our mediator. How is it that the benefits of Christ's mediation come to us? So that's, again, one of the questions we looked at last week. And it, it is by the means of grace, but by the work of the Spirit. It is a triune, gracious goodness of God to give us these means. And since this especially emphasizes the Spirit, if you still have 1 Corinthians open, if you just uh, turn over to the next chapter, uh, you'll see a great emphasis on the work of the Spirit. Um, verses 4 and 5 of 1 Corinthians 2, My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should be not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And that spelled out, you might say, even further if you go down in 1 Corinthians uh, 2. I know it always bugs me when people skip around in chapters, but I already said there are too many verses to look at, so I'm going to try to summarize things. But But look at uh, 1 Corinthians 2, beginning at verse 10. How is it that this uh, gospel that we've been talking about, this wisdom that Paul keeps referring to, how is it that we're able to receive it? And the answer, after uh, taking up uh, the Old Testament and the book of Isaiah, uh, Paul says in verse 10, but God has revealed them, these truths, to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. See, there's the grace. Not only are these things freely given to us, but he gives us the spirit that we might know them. And then continuing in verse 13, these things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is uh, one of the passages we looked at in the study of the Trinity. It's a... triadic uh, reference to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and especially here identifying the Word of God and the the will of God and the mind of God with the mind of Christ. But in particular for our study, notice that we get nowhere on our own. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. It is only by the work of the Spirit that we are able to understand them. And that's really what the catechism question is getting at, uh, but also the fact that it's not as if he gets us going and leaves us on his own, our own. He, he continues uh, through the whole Christian life in that same work. Uh, let me add one uh, comment here in connection with this. Uh, this is 
the catechism answer is really an emphasis on how the Christian life is lived in the context of the ministry of the word. And there is one uh, natural question that comes up. Well, what about those, uh, say, infants dying in infancy or those who are, have an intellectual disability? Does that mean that they're uh, left out? So just as a, a footnote here, let me read from the Confession of Faith. This is the chapter 10 on effectual calling, uh, paragraph 3. Elect infants dying in infancy are regenerated and saved by Christ through the Spirit, who worketh when and where and how he pleaseth. So also are all other elect persons who are inable, incapable of being outwardly called by the ministry of the word. Uh, so it is not as though the spirit is limited to the ministry of the word and his working. He is able to work without it in case of those such as uh, infants who die in infancy who are uh, elect. Uh, they've never heard or been able to comprehend the word. That does not mean they're without salvation. But that answer also emphasizes that the normal, right, the ordinary means of grace is the word working in the Christian for conversion as well as for the growth in the Christian life. Okay, so let me, having emphasized that point uh, about the, uh, the centrality of the work of the Spirit, the initiative of God, uh, let's turn then to the next phrase. And at this rate, we're never going to get through this, but I'm going to summarize the last part uh, a little more quickly. The Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of grace. So there, there are two things that are mentioned there in connection with the word. There's the reading of the word and the preaching of the word. And as I mentioned earlier, the catechism then expands on each of these in later questions. So there are probably lots of things you know, we could talk about in terms of the reading of the word, uh, both public and private, uh, family, uh, and the preaching of the word. But for now, let me just uh, try to emphasize uh, a couple of points. And that is that uh, the emphasis definitely here is on the public ministry of the word. Okay, that's the especially the preaching of the word. But just with the point that Dan was making, which is really helpful and, and is important to remember, that's in the context of the whole ministry of the church and of the whole Christian life. So when it, the priority is given to the preaching of the word, that's uh, not to say that that's in isolation from the use of the word uh, in the individual's life or in corporate life in terms of encouraging each other. But it does remain true that we need help in understanding the word. Okay, And that's, that's really where the preaching of the word comes in. And as I'll emphasize in a minute, it's not simply understanding, but also in, in applying the word. So I passed out some uh, scripture passages uh, Probably the most difficult to interpret in terms of what I meant is Nehemiah 8. And Jeff, thank you for clarifying this. So Nehemiah 8, this is uh, a really a revival of the interest of the word in the time of uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. And uh, if you could read either all those names or just the last part of verse 7 and verse 8. Okay, so there's a list of names of people who are, uh, I'll shorten today. Okay. They helped the people to understand the law the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the Okay, so I'm only taking a couple of verses out of a, a larger context, but both a little earlier in this passage and there, and there it's clear that the word is being read, but it's also clear that the word is being interpreted or explained. 
And that was in the context of a people who had largely been without the ministry of the word for a while. So you might say they need it and we don't. Uh, that's not true, as, as we'll see. But it's still important to understand that the word uh, read requires uh, an explanation to make its sense known. Uh, one other passage that I'll mention, I, I don't think we'll turn to it here, but is in uh, the case of the Ethiopian official in Acts 8. You want to look it up, verses 26 through 40. So this fellow is uh, on his way back home after being in Jerusalem. He's reading in Isaiah. He can't understand what he's reading. What does God do? He sends him Philip, like this guy, you know, just out in the desert, you know, this chariot passes by. Hey, can I hitch a ride with you? And Philip is there to explain the word. It's actually interesting that the question that the, the eunuch asks is a good one, um, it's a, actually this prosopotic sort of exegesis. He's asking, well, who's speaking to whom in this passage? And uh, Philip takes that opportunity then to explain to him. And Acts uh, 8 says he preached Christ to him from Isaiah 53. So there again is God in his wisdom saw it wasn't perhaps the most helpful way to send an official back to take the gospel to his home country just having Isaiah. But he needed someone to explain that Isaiah 53 was speaking of Jesus and that that uh, led to the conversion of that Ethiopian official. So I want to make a, a couple of comments about the, uh, the reading and preaching of the word in general, and then we'll look at the specific benefits as time slips away here. Um, uh, first, as I've ar- already mentioned, uh, it pleased God that he would communicate to us through verbal revelation and not image-based revelation. Okay, so um, Galatians 3.1, I think I didn't uh, pass out, but let me read uh, quickly. It's an interesting statement that Paul makes. Well, he, he has uh, some things to say to the Galatians. Galatians 3.1, O oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. And that clearly portrayed among you has the sense uh, of uh, like painting a picture. So did the Apostle Paul take a picture of Jesus with him to Galatia and hold it up? And that was the way he clearly portrayed Christ among them. Well, no, obviously not. I mean, from the context Again and again, he is preaching the gospel to them. He is communicating in words. But the striking thing is, he says that communication was so effective that they might as well have been at the crucifixion. They might as well have seen what happened with Christ because he gave them a complete understanding, uh, not only of what happened, but the significance of it. And that's, that's really the point, I think, of understanding God's revelation, not as uh, image-based, but as a word-based, as a verbal revelation. God, in his wisdom, has chosen to communicate to us that way. And uh, Paul sees no loss of uh, communication in that uh, explanation, in that communication of the gospel. But uh, having said that, so, I mean, I think we're probably all in on that. You know, we, we understand the danger of merely an image-based uh, communication. Let me add a couple of, of uh, not correctives, but other points that help us put that in perspective. Uh, and that is, first of all, that the preaching of the word is not just a transfer of information. 
Okay, it's not like we're downloading things into our heads from the pulpit. It's not a lecture, uh, as I tried to I made a point of mentioning last week. Uh, it certainly does address the mind, but if you look at the catechism answer, you can see the preaching of the word also addresses the will, the subduing our wills to himself, and it also addresses our affections. Okay, we just had a whole sermon series on Psalm 119. Just think about how much of Psalm 119 is expressing not just like an information-based understanding of the word. I understand it. There's plenty of that. But also, I delight in your word, and I delight in you, and uh, I long to do your will. So that whole person response to the word is there because the preaching of the word addresses the whole person. It's not just a download of information. And in connection with that, let me just mention that this is another reason why the preaching of the word is important and not just the reading of the word. Um, We all retain enough of uh, sinful tendencies to read in the word just what suits our own fancies. (laughs) We read our self-approval too often in the word. We need someone objectively standing up in front of us and applying the word to us in ways that make us uncomfortable. And that also stir up our affections. And I think that's one, uh, that definitely is one benefit of the preaching of the word as opposed to the, uh, the mere reading of the word. Um, I don't know if this is a good uh, analogy or not, but I, I think it's probably the case that uh, physicians are not really caused to, uh, called to diagnose themselves. Right? Physicians have their own physicians to go to. And that's, in a sense, you know, you could know a lot of the Bible but you still need the preaching of the word. You still need someone to stand, as it were, outside of you and declare the things that uh, may make you, uh, may challenge you and may uh, point out things that you need to hear. So that's uh, first then a a corrective. It is, when I say it's uh, revelation by word, don't just think it's like a computer download. But uh, also in connection with that, understand that God does have a way of appealing to our senses. And that's what the sacraments are. The sacraments are the visible word. So it's not just that God communicates to us um, by the word, but he makes the word uh, visible to us. That's the sort of traditional reform way of saying, going back to Calvin, by the sacraments. That's not a part of the catechism we're going to look at now, but that's that sort of fills out this uh, understanding of the word as a, a verbal revelation. Okay, so now I have like 90% of the catechism answer to get to in the last 15 minutes, but uh, any comments or questions on that? You're Henry? About the uh, doctors, it's also, there's also saying about uh, lawyers aren't supposed to try to represent themselves in court. Uh-huh. That's a good, another good example, yeah. Okay, so then uh, let's look then at the last part of the catechism answer. <clears throat> so, effectual uh, means of enlightening, convincing, and so, so on, all the way down to through faith and to salvation. So it's a long list. Um, you should read this as the benefits that Christ has procured for us in his mediation. Okay, so then there again is the grace emphasis. These are all things that come to us freely, things that we could not have on our own. 
there are the benefits of Christ's mediation, but it's right in the in uh, the working of the triune God. It is especially the Spirit uh, who brings these things to completion in our lives. That's the so the technical word used. It's, they are appropriated to the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who is often uh, described as the one bringing these benefits to us. Now, as you look at that list, you can see it begins with the beginning of the Christian life, right? Enlightening and convicting, uh, and goes all the way to the end uh, unto salvation. Uh, But you should also understand that we need enlightening and convicting through our whole Christian life. So that sort of simplistic understanding doesn't work exactly. Um, Just understand that our whole Christian life benefits from uh, the use of the word. So as I said here, there are so many scripture passages that we could look at that uh, I'm going to have to summarize and we'll just read a few. So someone I think has 1 Thessalonians 2.13. I completely forgot who who got these. Is that you, Vicki? Thank you. If you could read 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Okay, so there's the effectively working in those who believe. It's not a, a dead word. Okay, if we didn't respond, it still wouldn't be a dead word. But in terms of our own lives, it, 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 it reaches its pointed end in our lives because it is the word of God. Um, Romans 10:17. This is a very familiar verse. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Okay, so there, again, it's the use of the word of God to, uh, in the context of the preaching of the gospel, if you read uh, the rest of Romans 10, which I didn't ask Henry to read. But there, in particular, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So that's the normal way uh, which people come to faith is by the reading and the preaching, especially the hearing of the word of God. Acts 26, 17 and 18 Thank you. So a lot of these verses are very familiar, but you should just step back and think about what they're saying. This is saying that by this foolishness of preaching that Paul was talking about, Paul was called to turn people from darkness to light, to uh, give them the knowledge of God. Uh, This is an amazing effect, which is ascribed to the ministry of the word of God. And in particular, the the first... uh, of the parts up there, the enlightening and convincing and humbling sinners is the sort of thing that Paul is talking about. And that that is the apostolic ministry which is carried on in our own day by the, the preaching of the word. Um, Acts 2, 37 and 38. Vicki's doing double duty. Thank you. Thank you. 
Okay. So again, we're just plucking some verses out of context. That's Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. And um, he preached Jesus to them. Right? This is after the, the pouring out of the Spirit, and uh, they spoke in uh, various languages. And their response to the message was, what shall we do? This is a beautifully described in the catechism, driving them out of themselves. They didn't have the resources to deal with this problem. What shall we do? And what he does is he points them to Christ and uh, to the salvation that's in Christ. So they were under conviction. They were cut to the heart. They they realized they had uh, no resources to deal with the situation they were in, facing the condemnation of God. And uh, he points them to Christ as the way they would be delivered. Uh, let's look at one in a little bit more uh, detail. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And this is really, uh, if you could summarize it in one sort of part of the, the order of salvation, it would be sanctification. But again, it's described here in a very uh, a beautiful way that connects to our subject. 2 Corinthians 3, I'm only going to read verses 17 and 18. Paul has been talking about the the fact that Moses' face shone uh, after being in God's presence and he wore a veil and he uses that to uh, contrast the, uh, the ministry uh, under Moses and the law and the ministry of the gospel. So beginning at, um, yeah, okay. I'll just read verses 17 and 18. It's a little bit hard to jump into it. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So here the Apostle Paul is saying, in contrast to the time of Moses and especially the, the law, Um, he is saying what the experience of the Christian life is. And he he identifies, in a sense, the Son of God with the Spirit of God. Not that they are the same person, but identifies their ministry. The Lord is the Spirit. At the end, he speaks of the Spirit of the Lord. He's saying that it's the work of the Holy Spirit to take of Christ and to apply it to us. But the specific way he refers to that is our transformation into the image of Christ. That's a really uh, helpful way to think about our sanctification because uh, sanctification is, you can think of in terms of the law and conformity to the law, which would certainly be included in this. But to see the incarnate Son of God as the one to whom we are being conformed or into whose image we're being transformed by the work of the Spirit is a very powerful and helpful way to think of the Christian life. And how does that happen? Well, it is because of the preaching of the gospel. It is, it is the work of the word. The translations differ a little bit, but the as in a mirror here in the New King James Version, I think it refers to the way the word tells us about Christ and shows us who Christ is. And then the sanctification is that we are amazingly transformed into the image of the perfect incarnate Son of God by the work of the Spirit. And that's what the Catechism takes up here in uh, conforming them to his image. Okay, so I'm running out of time. Let me uh, 
just briefly summarize a couple of others um, in terms of uh, temptations. Ephesians 6.16, I gave, I think, to someone. Is that your melody? Okay, thanks. In all circumstances, take up the shields of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Yeah, sorry, I didn't write down the right verse. Uh, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that must be. Take up and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Yeah, thank you. Sorry, I got that one wrong. So there's the use of the word in temptation, and is the Word of the Spirit specifically. Uh, another example of this would be Jesus. Again, the pattern uh, for our living in the wilderness when he faced the temptations of Satan, he again and again referred to the word of God, even refuting Satan's misuse of the word of God with uh, God's word. So in, in all of these uh, parts of the catechism answer, the, the emphasis is that God's word is at work to bring us from the beginning of the Christian life to the ultimate goal, which is to our uh, salvation. Um, let me just, in conclusion, let's turn to one other passage and then um, we'll see if you have any comments or questions. So turn, turn to 2 Timothy 3. I'll read beginning at uh, verse 15. All right, let me back up to verse 14. Um, there are so many famous passages about the use of the, the word of God and its benefit in the Christian life that um, I'm probably leaving out your favorite. Second Timothy 3.16 is a well-known one, but I want to read it in context. So let's, let's pick up at verse 14. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Yeah, that's a very famous statement, but that's along the lines of what the catechism is saying here. It's all of these benefits that the word uh, gives to us to make us complete, to bring us to uh, the end for which God uh, renewed us in Christ. But I want you to notice, just in conclusion, uh, what follows on in chapter 4. Okay? There weren't chapter divisions in the original. Uh, sometimes they can throw us off. Paul says, I charge you therefore. Okay, So because of what I just said, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. I think I'll come back to uh, the later part of this, uh, another, another lesson. But notice, Paul is well aware of the context. He's telling Timothy to preach the word, 
But he knows that it's not necessarily or in the long term going to be received. There will be many who will not endure sound doctrine. But it's because of the value of the word in 2 Timothy 3.16, you might say, that Paul says, preach the word. Let's, uh, let's stop there. And as uh, I guess we used to do, that means uh, since I'm out of time, if you want to leave and do something else, that's fine. If you want to stay and ask questions, uh, you can do so. How's that? Any, any comments or questions? Yes, Stan. Right. Earlier you were talking about that uh, we, we need to be, we need to have some of the objective to yeah. make us uncomfortable and so on. And look at how Satan used the word. Right. He was in the Bible, right? He, yeah. had, he had the Bible, and yet. He was the best student in the class, you know, that he, sort of thing, right? He, he could. Psalm 90, right? 91. Uh, yeah. So the value of being able to say, no, wait. Just because you can quote a verse doesn't even mean you're on the right track at all. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, just uh, a mere awareness of the word, uh, even you know, kn- knowing it well in terms of memorizing it or whatever is not enough to uh, to make proper use of it. Yeah, that's a good point. Other comments, questions? Okay, so I, I did go really quickly over the last part of the larger catechism. I encourage you to think about uh, in your own life the benefits that you've received from the work of the Spirit and using the Word and uh, bringing you uh, through the Christian life. Well, let's close in prayer.